This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 1998's Clown at Midnight, directed by Gene Pellerin. But first, our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. Um, so this is, our pop culture check-ins are going to be abbreviated for the next couple episodes because B and I are actually recording ahead of time because she is having a baby. So we want to make sure we still have episodes coming out for you guys. Um, but you know, she's got the whole having a baby thing to do. So we got to make sure that's taken care of too. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a little precedence over a podcast. And we want to make sure we still have episodes to come out while I am waking up every two hours. So Yeah. This is where we're at. Yeah, so they'll be a little smaller. I mean, we still watch stuff for sure. We're actually technically recording on St. Patty's Day, so um, you won't hear this on St. Patrick's Day, but we hope you had a safe holiday. Hope you watched some sort of Irish-themed horror movie, whether it be something that was directed by an Irish director, like The Hollow or Let Us Pray, or any of the nine Leprechaun movies. Or you could watch Holidays. There's a St. Oh, yeah. Patrick's Day yeah, there's a that. Yeah, that's true. I love this. That's one of my favorite segments. It's so weird. I mean, my favorite one's the Easter one, but... The Easter one's so good. Yeah. But uh, is the St. Patrick's Day the locker room one? No, it's the weird, like, the lady has a baby snake. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's actually a very good anthology. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, there's plenty of options out there for you guys. And then to celebrate even more, I am going to drink a beer while we are recording this episode. So never done that before, but I figured, you know, in spirit of the holiday, plus, you know, divorce and everything. So so why not? Don't I will worry. join him as soon as I can have one. Yeah. Be Instead, a, be I'm drinking craven. a freaking diet root beer because not only can I not have caffeine, but I can't have sugar because I'm like pre-diabetic. So this is fun. It's a beer still. It's yeah, it is. I sorts. am still yeah. having a beer. Yeah, there we go. Um, so I watched, uh, the, I, I know I watched more than this, but I can't, I cannot remember the other movie I watched. I spent like 20 minutes trying to figure it out, but I watched Creed 2. Um, which I was actually a really, really big fan of the first one because Ryan Coogler is magnificent, and I think Michael B. Jordan is one of my favorite, like, new actors, newer, up, like, I wouldn't even say he's up and coming anymore. He's, like, a full-blown star. Who? Uh, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, no, there's no up and coming about No, him. that's what I'm saying is, like, but he's one of my favorite, like, newer actors. Oh, sure. Young actor. Yeah, um... So Ryan Coogler did not direct this one. It was Stephen Cable Jr. because Coogler was doing Black Panther and so was Michael B. Jordan. But 
um, Kugler had to spend more time and like post and everything, so he wasn't able to do this. Kugler, uh, Sac State alumni. Yeah, whoop, whoop. represent. And I, he's fantastic in all of his movies. With he's done three movies with Michael B. Jordan now, and they're all great. Black Panther, Fruitvale Station, and uh, Creed. Um, but I'm a big fan of the Rocky franchise in general. Um, but I think I like Creed more the first one, and honestly, the second one was really good too. Michael B. Jordan's great. Um, Tessa Thompson, who uh, Veronica Mars, Mars alumni, um, and she was in the new Thor movie. Um, she's she, gonna be in Men in Black. Yeah, she's really good. Um, just like she carries a lot of the emotional crux of that film, and she's great in the first one. Mm-hmm. And then Sylvester Stallone is—he's he's so such a good actor. He's so underrated yeah. because he got like painted as this action star. And don't get me wrong, I love his action movies. Like I love. Like First Blood, and I'm actually he has a he has a movie from the '80s called Cobra that's super over the top, like ridiculous. Um, but he's a really good dramatic actor, and he's so good in this movie. Like, uh, yeah, very good. in my action exploration, I discovered that I actually like he's probably my least favorite of all the action stars because he makes the action movies I don't like the most, which are the serious dramatic ones. Yep. Don't get me wrong, First Blood is a fantastic movie. It really is in every way, and the fact that he wrote it mm-hmm. and starred in it mm-hmm. and he i mean it's pretty much a one man yeah movie just like rocky it's spectacular it really is i don't think he gets enough credit for writing rocky right like i mean th- like literally upheld as one of the best sports movies of all time yeah um and no, he I think definitely people... i don't know what's happened to him and it's really a shame but he does not get the credit he deserves for his mm-hmm. not just his individual talent but his impact on mm-hmm. um, pop culture and oh, yeah. film. Yeah, because... Look at all of like the sports biopics and... Not even just biopics, but fictional sports dramas that have gone on to... And I mean, he it's that's an Oscar-winning movie. He won an yeah, Oscar Yeah, for absolutely. It. So I mean, it does... It ha- It's not like it didn't get recognition. But I think in the grand scheme of things, when Sylvester Stallone's talked about, he's not taken as seriously as mm-hmm. he should be. And it's because he still enjoys those, like he's still making the Expendables and stuff, which is and fine. He, he enjoys those movies, so he more power to him. But really great in this one too. I had a lot of fun with it. I mean, the plot is if you're a Rocky fan, the plot is Ivan Drago's son <laughs> comes in and wants to fight uh, Adonis Creed. And, and you know, if you don't have, if you haven't watched Rocky movies, sorry, this is a 30 year old spoiler, or whatever, <laughs> 40 years at this point. But um, is that going to be you on every episode lately? Yeah, you're exactly. Like, sorry, it's not a spoiler. It's too late. Yeah, it is too late. But um, Creed, you know, his father is killed by Av- Ivan Drago in Rocky Four. So this is like it has like you know in a f- in a f- the ring, right? Yeah, he's killed yeah. in the in the yeah. actual match, and so this has like lots of you know like personal stuff behind it. But just really, re- really well done. And um, I love a hip hop soundtrack behind these sports movies. It just like works so well when they're like the way that they integrated it it's really great um so definitely check it out if you haven't yet i think it's as it's almost as good as the first one i don't think it quite like tops it but it's still super enjoyable great to see dolph lundgren in it too like reprising his role as ivan and um but the movie is smart because it never like is about ivan and rocky it's still about creed um, then I also watched Triple Frontier. That's the movie that dropped on Netflix um, by J.C. Chandor, who did a Most Violent Year. Um, it's the Ben Affleck. The cast is incredible. Um, ben Affleck, Charlie Hunnam, Garrett Hedlund, um, Oscar Isaac, and oh, it's not Diego Luna. I think it's Pedro Pascal. 
I can't remember right now. I think it is. Yeah, it's Pedro Pascal. Um, and it's basically about these like kind of, I mean, they're ex-special ops and it's about like their their life after leaving that um, field and Oscar Isaac is still in it and he decides to like recruit his old team and and they're basically like we did look at everything we did for like our country and for like patriotism and look where it got us like we got busted knees we got no money you know we're driving beat up pickup trucks and so Oscar Isaac like comes up with a job pretty much that is going to give them more money than they'll need for the rest of their life while also still fulfilling like a patriotic duty but it's outside of you know government sanctions or whatever um it's not as like action heavy as you might think uh it's definitely very very dramatic um and it's really fucking sad honestly because a lot of those movies kind of are uh but the cast carries the movie because they're all so good and it just i was talking with b about this a couple nights ago um i wish charlie hunnam got more of a career because he's so ridiculously good like i love everything he's in he's such a good actor and um also really nice to look at yeah he is very attractive and he just kind of like his movie he 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 had the taylor kitsch route of his movies just kind of tanked so his his hollywood career went nowhere uh so i don't know if this is going to do anything for him to help him up but like definitely you know like Ben Affleck's a huge name. Oscar Isaac right now is at like the top of his game. Um, and then I haven't seen Garrett Hedlund in anything for a long time. So it was nice to see him. Um, Pedro Pascal is huge right now because of Game of Thrones. So yeah, just really, really talented cast. Um, I would say worth watching, but get ready to be sad. It's definitely not a, a happy story. Yeah, no. Um, it's definitely, yeah, you can't watch it. <laughs> you can't watch that. Um, but yeah, those are the two things I remember watching at least. Um, I watched... A lot? Sure. I didn't feel like... Well, I'm going to first talk about something that I watched a little while ago, but I forgot to talk about it, which is the second season of Friends from College, which is a Netflix series. Um, It's a dark comedy um, about... So it kind of reminds me, like, in vain of The League, Mm -hmm. and only the way that The League is about a group of friends, and they're all, like, really shitty people. Yeah. Like, really terrible people with no redeeming qualities, and that's what makes it so entertaining to watch them. Um, Friends from College is a much different tonally show, but similar in the fact that it's this group of people who are terrible when they're together. Yeah, they're like, not... Like, they bring out the worst in each <laughs> yeah, other they're... completely. Yeah, it's uh, Fred Savage, uh, Colby Smolders, uh, what's his name? Key. I Michael never... Keegan Key. Yeah, Michael Keegan Key. Um, and then a couple others. Those are the three, like, really, really big... Oh, yeah, Nate Faxon, who I really like. I always forget about him. And then Jay Suh. Oh, yeah. Isn't he from that show... Kate and... Kate and something that was really good? Yeah. He's good in everything he's in. Oh, I didn't... I couldn't watch Married, but it it was good, the show Married that he was in. Oh. Um, but as a married person, I didn't enjoy watching it because it paints a very negative life on, like, the mundane aspects of marriage. And I'm like, I don't need to watch that. Ben and Kate. That was the show. Ben and Kate. That's yeah. a great show. Bummer got canceled. But that's not hurting What's-Her-Face's career at all. Yeah. What is her name? I don't know. Dakota Johnson. That was her? Yeah. Wow. Are you sure? Yeah. I'm going to look that up while you continue talking. Wow. Wow. Yeah. See? That's crazy. That's her. Yeah. 
Hmm. Yeah, didn't hurt her career. I'm an OG sure. fan, guys. Um, so, anywho, Friends from College, I had issues with the first season because they are really terrible people. Yeah, and so, some people. of it, you're just like, okay, like, I don't know how I feel about, like, watching this. The second season kind of takes all of the extra annoying things or over-the-top bad things that they do and kind of... If doesn't fix them, gives reasoning behind, like, sort of their moral decisions. Um, And I just thought overall was better and excellent and really found its footing. So I think it's one of those shows that had a great idea, had a first season, and then it really, like, found what it wanted to do Mm -hmm. and did it in the second season. And it's a much more interesting portrait on... Marriage and friendship and growing older. Um, like we see a lot of shows like I, about 20-somethings and this is about 30-somethings. Or even I guess like Fred Savage has got to be in his 40s. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, I think yeah. they're all supposed to be like late 30s. Yeah, it's like yeah. midlife friendship Yeah, instead of like young 20s, early right. 30s. It's more like mid-30s, late 30s. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, sort of the different realities of that, which is kids and weddings and um you know trying to grow up from being in college together and partying all night and um yeah I just thought it was really excellent so I mean laugh out loud funny like in so many parts and then really heartbreaking Mm. and so I highly highly recommend it if you didn't check out the first season watch it um our friend Jeremy like I told him how good it was, and so he started watching the first season, and he was like, yeah, I mean, it's pretty good. I'm like, just keep going. And then definitely, after he finished the second season, he's like, okay, I totally get what you mean. Yeah, he powered through the second season because he totally jumped on board. I love shows that do that, though, like find their footing in the second season. Yeah, we were just talking about that with Santa Clarita Diet. Yes. Yeah, that did that so much. Yeah, the third season just got in, right, third. Yeah, Yeah, third third season just just got announced. And we were like, we're so glad that it, like, found like the first season was good Mm -hmm. but it was great the second season was just absolutely nailed it yeah it was the second season was when you finally saw everyone online going like holy shit did you watch this it's super good yeah yeah really good so that's my little like tv recommendation um i watched born supremacy so i talked about watching born Born Identity. identity born supremacy felt like the first movie in a lot of other franchises Franchises. Hmm. where you start off with um something tragic happening to the love interest of your main character and then him going kind of on a rampage because of it and that's what this is so i didn't like it as much because it felt like i'd seen it already a bunch and i did i loved the it's funny my husband likes the sequel better because of the fact Hmm. that there's no backstory there's no you don't have to get to know the character you already know them and you just get sort of thrown into like their action Mm storyline and i really enjoyed the mystery and build up of jason Bourne finding out like sort of who the fuck he is in the first one and now that he kind of knows who he is in the second one like i didn't find it as interesting still good i mean some excellent car chase scenes in that one really they've always um, been well like um like critically acclaimed for their fight sequence. Yes, and I love the actual action in it. Mm-hmm. The story didn't love as much, so I'll probably watch. I've been watching like one a week, so I'll probably watch the next one here pretty soon. Um, then I kind of went on like a comedy. I watched Ocean's Eight, which 
what, Ocean's 11 and then Ocean's 12. And 13. And, oh, is there three? Yeah. So three. 11, 12, and 13, which is the original series, which is the heist movies mm-hmm. starring a big cast yeah. of attractive, yeah. famous male actors. Clooney, Pitt, Damon are the main three. Yeah. But like, you know, Don Cheadle's and yeah. Roman. Yeah, they're um, stacked. Yeah, fun little Vegas heist movies. Um, and this, you know, is one of the recent remakes where they are taking it and making an all-female cast. I mean, Sandra Bullock, I love her. She's great in anything and everything. They do tie um, it into the original Oceans. She's Danny Ocean's brother, or sister. Yes. So it's a direct tie-in, but Danny Ocean's not in it. I think he's dead, right? He's dead. Yeah, he's. they wrote him out of the yeah. series because she visits his grave at one yeah. point. And I think I read somewhere in, like that there was you know, he could have faked his death because he's Danny Ocean. So yeah. if they wanted to do something, they can. Sure. Yeah. Um, it was fine. Yeah. It, it was, the cast, super fun. I loved the cast. Great to see them. Some cool ideas. The Met Gala being, like, the plot behind it. Anne Hathaway is fantastic in this. Uh, Anne Hathaway, Kate Blanchett's wardrobe is fucking on point, and it's beautiful. Yeah. She is great in every scene, but yeah. I agree. Anne Hathaway, for me, was, Anne like, Hathaway kind of steals yeah, it. Yeah, she really like, does. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's Kate Blanchett and Sandra Bullock. It's their show. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as Anne Hathaway comes in, you're like, well, fuck. Yeah. She's incredible she really is and she just gets more attractive the older she gets yep. like she's really like you're just like jesus like how does that work i don't know but it works um it was ryan and i talked about it a little bit before and i think what he said was great is that it just lacked there's no stakes stakes yeah the whole time you have full confidence that they have something under their sleeve there's no point in which i think sandra bullock's character doesn't know exactly what she's doing because every single little twist and turn, she's already on top of it. And so every twist that happens, that they're like, oh, but we did this and we did this. That's usually like, oh, okay, in these heist movies. Um, you're like, well, yeah, of course. Um, which is fine. You know, shows her intelligence and how she's got this. And maybe that women are smarter criminals, mm-hmm. which I guess is a compliment. Yeah. I'm <laughs> sure. Just smarter in general. Yeah, but um, kind of. Boring because of it. Yeah. And so beautiful to look at in every way. The women, the sets, the mm-hmm. clothes. Um, so that's fun. But really wasn't anything. Like, I don't need to see it again. It oh, was fine. Gary Ross. He did, yeah. He did Pleasantville and Seabiscuit and The Hunger Games. That yeah. is an eclectic roster of films there. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a strange choice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's fine. there's that. Yeah. It's easy breezy. It's fun. It is. It's easy breezy. It's on HBO if you're interested, which is what all the movies I pretty much watched were on HBO. I finally watched Blockers, which oh Ryan my God, has praised I love a Blockers few times. So much. Um, yeah, and it was just as hilarious as I mean, and I am definitely a person who gets like uncomfortable in movies that like talk about sex and stuff like like it makes me very uncomfortable and i like was like blushing and like laughing like out of oh my god i can't believe this is what's being talked about this movie for me 100 percent made john cena an actual like actor an actual actor like comedically very funny yeah. very funny and then i loved how sex forward it was uh-huh. like it was so sex positive about like like, John Cena's wife in this movie is great because I love that scene. There's a scene where they're trying to stop their kids from having sex, obviously, and she's just like, 
basically she's like what the fuck why like yeah. why our why our daughter is you know 18 years old she's going to have sex this is an okay thing this is how life works yeah, leave her alone yeah and, and like the, a lot of the resolution kind of comes around the ideas of like parents coming to terms with their children growing up and like and maturing in these in these ways so it's it's i think it's a well done movie because you're really following the parents these three parents which mm-hmm. is you know John Cena, Ike Barinholtz, and um, um, Leslie Leslie Mann. Yeah, Leslie Mann. Um, which three of them? I think I, Ike Barinholtz is incredible. I love him. Um, he's an incredible writer. If you ever look up like things he's been mm-hmm. a writing table for, but he steals like the show and Mindy Project. Like he's great. Um, and I love that fact that he's getting a lot of these bigger roles now. Um, John Cena was freaking excellent as this like dorky. <laughs> Like dad, yep. and they make a few jokes about like his strength because like <laughs> yep. you know he's, he's not really so that's not what a normal dad looks like. Yeah, the, who's just wearing cargo shorts. Like there's a standout <laughs> scene where um, Ike Barinholtz is trying to roll up the window and keep him out. <laughs> yeah, and that's he's literally weird. like pushing <laughs> down, and he's like. You can't do that. You're not Arnold Schwarzenegger. And literally, John Cena just pushes the window down. Like, oh. no. And he's like, oh, what the hell? And it's like, because it's true. If you were yeah. that big, you could easily do that. I love oh, I love John Every All three of the leads are so yeah. good in it. And that scene, oh, there's just so many scenes. I, yeah. I love the scene where he comes in and he puts, he's like trying to be sexy for his wife. And she's like, those are our daughter's underwear. And he's like, yeah. uh, uh, uh. And he's like, what are we paying her ones? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so no, good. No, it's great. So it's great because you have these three very hilarious adult comedians and then you've got this like young um cast these Mm -hmm. three girls and they're um, all really good yeah they're all really good um in their own ways and so we're following sort of how the parents are viewing their own friendships their own insecurities and personal shit that they have dealt around their relationship with their kids their relationship with their own sex lives so they're dealing with that way. The kids are like, we're very happy. We have parents who love us. Like, w- for the most part, we are like very privileged and awesome. And we're going to have sex and it's going to be great and it's prom night. But then they have to deal with the realities of what that means in all of their different relationships. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when it comes down to the end of the resolution, the parents and the kids come together and sort of like find out what that means for all of them. And it is. It is. It's sex positive without being like. Raunchy. Well, without being raunchy, but without being unrealistic oh, that yeah. mm-hmm. you're not going to be comfortable with your kids having sex. Like, yeah. that's not something you should be comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, but you should... Be able to come to terms with be it. Be able to come to terms with it if it's done in the right way. Right. Um, and so I think that's what I like. It's not trying to shove some agenda like Mm-mm. high school kids should be able to have unprotected sex or sex with whoever and how many people they want. And it's whatever. It's just our bodies, which I think is like sometimes the way the narrative goes where it's like, nope, it's my body. I can do what I want. It's like, no, you're still like a kid who can make a life-changing decision by having sex. So there should be some responsibility and guidance. It's really like a a movie about responsible sex. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And also props, it's Kay Cannon directed it. So a female director. Mm -hmm. Um, Major props to her for directing a like pretty much, you know, top tier comedy like release. Um, She did not get enough recognition last year, I think, for it. Um, And like just such i just i loved it i truly loved it i thought it was the message was great the comedy was on point like i just really enjoyed that film yeah 
And yeah, it did really well. Yeah, it did great. super well. So that's always nice to see. Um, I mean, freaking the team behind it are yeah. like the comedians that I I genuinely I love. I love Seth Rogen, and Evan, Evan Goldberg. Goldberg. That's his like writing partner. Yeah. on everything since Super Bad. I think both of them are extremely talented about telling story. They they do a good job of like telling stories about like kids and maybe not always the same coming of age stories we've gotten yep so sort of more unique coming of age stories always ones that are honest about the fact that fucking teenagers are horny and want to have sex and the realities of that and the gross and depending on the movie the really gross side of it and then not yeah the reason why their movies things like super bad or you know this movie can still relate to people is that yeah you're gonna have those like funny raunchy scenes like for taking a beer into your butt, butt yeah like it's but that's a real thing gross. too that people do oh, yeah sure yeah. some people do God. so i've heard our friends have done weirder things yeah i don't know maybe so being able to take these like really raunchy funny things but have some you know really solid storytelling mm-hmm. and um yeah i mean that's really nice that's what I used to really like about Adam Sandler's movies. Yep. Because he used to do a really good job about telling like heartwarming stories and like relationships often and still be like goofy and raunchy. And then his career, he kind of changed. The heart kind of yeah. got lost a little bit. But Became a hyperbole of himself. That's okay. Um, and then, did I watch anything else? You watched uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, and then I watched the sequel to Wreck-It Ralph last night. Yeah, Ralph Breaks the Internet, which was awesome. Um, just a true, I mean, Disney does a lot of things right. And what they do, I think, the best is movies about friendship. Yep. And that's really what this is about. Um, it's about Ralph and Vanellope's friendship and how important it is to support your friends even when they have life changes or things that might affect your relationship, you should still support them. So in this storyline, you know, Ralph is trying to help Vanellope who's very bored in her. She's basically having a, a midlife crisis. And Ralph is trying to help her, like, find more excitement in her life. And they both come to realize that for her to get that, she kind of has to leave Ralph. Yep. Um. And leave the life, the even the parts about her life that she does like, which is her friendship with Ralph, if she wants more excitement. Um, and they both kind of have to come to terms with that. And they come to terms with that in an awesome entry to the internet, which it's like super meta. And the, every single it's Disney so character meta, yeah. you love is in it. And there's this awesome scene with the princesses, which I'm sure you've seen in trailers. Um, it's super funny. There's a really weird body horror scene near the end of the movie, too. <laughs> yeah, there is, like, some creepy stuff um, per Disney, usual. Yeah, always. Um, always something weird. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just fun and heartwarming and funny. And John C. Riley is great as John C. Ralph. Riley's I love so him so great as Ralph. As Ralph. Yeah. Because um, he, like, you see that and you, like, I feel like that's what he's like in real life. Yeah. Like, just a big old teddy bear who, like, like wants to be Ralph. friends with people. Yeah. 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 Um, no, I haven't seen the first one, but I saw Breaks the Internet, and I really enjoyed all of it. I think it's a, I think it's a little long, but I think most movies are a little long. That movie is two hours long. A kid's movie should never be two hours long. Most movies shouldn't be two hours long. I want Avengers to be three hours because I never want it to end, and everything else can be 90 minutes. That's all I need in my life. Uh, 
How long is the movie we watched this week, actually, I wonder? It can't be more than 90 minutes. So that brings us to the movie we watched this week. So B and I, she brought it up on the last show. We have this book called The Teenage Slasher Book. So we were looking through there for inspiration. And we were trying to, we've actually done like a weird amount of aughts movies lately. And we've covered a lot of 80s in general over the past, like the course of the show. But the 90s are kind of a slasher light era because Scream came out at the end of the 90s. So all the like post-Scream stuff is usually in the aughts. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is post-Scream. Yeah, barely. Um, So, but it's post-Scream and post-Scream too. Um, But like a lot of those movies were like 2000, 2001. Yes. Um, So... This movie is called The Clown at Midnight. Yeah, which it's we found in the book. minutes, so it's right there. There we go, yeah. perfect. Um, so we found it in the book, and um, yeah, we both never heard of it. Um, it's a Canadian film, which we are big fans of, obviously. And also we saw it had Margot Kidder and Christopher Plummer attached to it. Those are like yes. the big names on it, and we love Margot Kidder from Black Christmas. Yeah. Um, Christopher Plummer is a very like well-established, like critically acclaimed actor, so I was like very shocked to see his name. And then also the poster that was included in the book was really creepy. So I was like, oh, this looks like it could be something. And it's always interesting to run in. There's a lot of slasher movies I haven't seen, but there's not a lot lot of slasher movies I haven't heard of. Yeah, I never heard of this one. No. Um, And, like, the cover was kind of like this weird Pennywise thing. So uh, So why not? Yeah, why not? B can read you her giant synopsis that she took off Rotten Tomatoes. It's good. Okay, are you guys ready? (laughs) In this atmospheric horror outing, an abandoned opera house has been donated to a high school and theater instruction instructor Ellen Gibby, Margot Kidder, organizes a team of student volunteers to restore the hall so it can be used for upcoming drama projects. However, the old theater holds disturbing memories for Kate, played by Sarah Lasses. Her mother was a classical violinist who was murdered 15 vocalist. years ago. Sorry. Vocalist. Who was murdered 15 years ago in the opera house's dressing room after a performance of... Pagliacci, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah, the sad clown. The sad clown, appropriately enough, by a stranger wearing the clown's costume. Since then, Kate has been haunted in her sleeping and waking hours by visions of the murder. And as Kate and her friends George, played by James Duvall, and Monica, Tatiana Ali, work to bring the music hall back to its former glory, they find themselves stalked by the same murderous clown who killed Kate's mother hardcore phantom of the opera vibes also until you read this just now thought they were college students oh yeah no i always knew they're in high school because they always make jokes about how he's like oh you're just like a dumb jock and you're but they seem like independent and like don't they buy beer at some point no i thought they were drinking beer with that pizza that's just soda they're just drinking soda in there I mean, maybe. Oh, I don't know. I don't specifically remember what they were They look like college drinking. students, okay? Well, as per 90s. Movie. Slash, not anymore. We've no. got a lot better at that as time has moved on. Or we've just gotten older, so. Fuck, don't say that shit, man. So uh, they, all, even like 20-year-olds look like teenagers No, to we us. look it up. They're usually like in their, they're better now. Well, yeah, so the cast. They're not of, casting 30-year-olds so, anymore. So, yeah, One Tree Hill, I think Chad Michael Murray was 30 when he was cast as a 16-year-old. Yeah, and same, all of Dawson's Creek was like yeah. well into their 20s when they were cast Where as Riverdale, they were like 19 to 20. KJ Alpha was... 19. Like, oh, I thought he was like 17. No. Oh. so Still, they, though, younger. They were like 19 to 24 when they got cast. Playing like 17 and 18. Yeah. Minutes. That's pretty good. Yeah, in comparison. Yes. Yeah. Um, And also, you know, made it weird for us to think they were attractive. Especially for B with KJ Alpha. Yes, yeah, so I had to look it up. I'm like, nope, too young. Can't be attractive. Yeah. But Cole Sprouse... Think- 
yeah. old enough to be attractive. And I think I can only like think one of the girls is attractive. I don't know. B gave me some rules that I have to follow on that one. Yeah, if there's a teen in their yeah. title of their age, can't find them attractive. Yeah, that's true. I'm 30 now. Those are the rules. Uh, released February 9th, 1999. Uh, I'm confused by this. So the information on this movie is tricky. It's Ob- sparse. Obviously, like we said, we've never even heard of it. Um, it's on Amazon Prime. If you it's guys on Amazon Prime for free. Yeah. Um, so it's saying that there was a theatrical release February 9th, but I can't find any information on that. And there's a few other sources that really say it's kind of like a straight to video. Um, so I'm not really sure. I can't back this up 100%. It I, could have had like a theatrical premiere because some movies do that yeah and then no, they for sure straight, and they go straight to video but it's like just a lot of netflix to, movies actually still have theatrical premieres and then go straight to netflix yeah so i think for the most part this was like a you found it on vhs this was a straight to vhs which what did straight to video wasn't there like a term for it now we call everything vod because it's video on demand but i mean straight to video that's yeah. what it's called yeah um an stv stv that sounds like something you contract uh of course it does 12 million dollars no box office number i cannot believe this movie and cost 12 million dollars though it had to be plumbers like salary or something because there's no reason so i always try and think i'm like it cost two million to make veronica mars Mm -hmm. it had to be like his and maybe margot kidder too yeah and then also the composer is a classically trained composer it's not cheap and the set, it was actually filmed in a historical theater. That's theater in Canada. In yeah. Canada. Um, so they didn't they didn't build a set, which is cheaper, but the cost to rent out that theater might have been expensive. Yeah. I'm not really sure, like, where, like, the big chunk of change goes when making movies. I know usually it's music, and there was a soundtrack. They definitely had music in it besides just a score. It's just weird because, tw- like, $12 million in 1999 money, money is a lot. Like, that's a lot more. You got to think, like, it's like you said. You you think Veronica Carter costs, like, $2 million. The, the Conjuring costs, like, nine. And that movie Paranormal is... Paranormal Activity costs, like, what? $900,000. Yeah. Not even a million, million dollars. Yeah. So it's weird when you see movies like this, and you're like, $12 million? What? Okay. Um, no critical response, uh, but I, it has a letterbox score of two and a half stars yeah, out so, of five, right? Um, they do, no, they do four. They do four. Yeah. 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 Cause I was trying to find, there's like a couple things on Rotten Tomatoes, but like no critics that are actually like seemed like real critics. Oh, like username critics. And normally we can find like horror sites that have talked about these films, but I couldn't find any horror sites that had been talking about them or any blogs. So it was kind of, I thought Letterboxd was the best place to go because if movie nerds are going to do anything, they're going to rate it on Letterboxd. Yep. So uh, middle of the road. Yep. Two and a half. Um, it's actually pretty generous. Yeah. Uh, the posters. There's three of them. One is real, real bad. Um, they I mean, did the, uh, like, bad. yeah, they're all bad. They did, at least one looks appropriate for the time yes. era. Um, there's a double feature one, because it was definitely released as, like, a double feature with another movie called Phantom Racer. And so they made a poster for it. Um, and so it's weird, because you can tell that it was made in, like, I think this came out in, like, 2009 or 2011, something like that. And you can tell the style of it is meant to look like it's a newer movie, not something from the 90s. This is, like, one of... So it's got, like, the clown figure, but not 
any of the actors. Like, that's not their faces. And it's not even the real clown. And it's not the real clown. It's not the costume. And they're holding, like, a decapitated head. In a bag. And a like, is it the in head's a in a bag yeah, with an axe. Yeah, and then an axe in the other hand. Which, that's not in the movie at all. And then a tagline, so many victims, so little time. How can you read that? Because I can read small text. What the fuck? God, I cannot read that at all. That's what the tagline is on, on the actual yeah. cover, too. Which is garbage. Um, it's terrible. Also, so many, there's five of them. There's Six, I guess. Victims. Eight? The fuck? Yeah. Well, if you count the mom... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah There's yeah, a yeah. it's standard. Oh, it's a okay. standard slasher for kills. Um so then the poster that I've seen the most and actually I think is the poster in the in the slasher book we it have is, yeah. is a Ugh. like 90s computer animated the or eyes like photoshopped. So yeah. So it's like like a close up of our clown and he's got like some photoshopped eyes that make them like completely white and fake looking and also the makeup is photoshopped on for sure and the eyes are like kind of going in different directions that make him kind of look like pennywise in the new it movie yeah no yeah they're definitely in different directions and a different size some Mm -hmm. bad photoshopping and then the knife is like so the the picture of the knife is so washed out that you can't really tell it's a knife at first you kind of have to look at it and it almost looks like it's drawn in but I think it really is an image of a knife, just overly photoshopped. It's just somebody who had, like, what, CS3 at the time and was like, yeah, no, I'm going to do this poster. Listen, this graphic um, arts nerd over here. Definitely did not spend any of the budget on no. the marketing. No. And then it's the clown at midnight, and clown is in all caps, and everything else is in lowercase. And it's bad. I hate all of the posters. Yeah. The poster that I like the most... It's the one that fits the era. It fits the era. So you actually know these other posters make this film either look like an aughts torture porn or a weird sci-fi... This makes it look like a shot-on-camera movie. Yeah. Like one of the ones that was coming out in the late night... Like around the... Well, 2000s is when like a lot of the shot-on-video stuff because people suddenly had Mm -hmm. access to like handheld cameras... So that is the kind of cover. Like it looks. Like, this makes it look like so much lower, more like lower budget than it yes. actually is. No, it does. It makes it look like a cam video. Yes. Yeah. And then the one that we prefer because it makes it look like it's a '90s slasher, which is what it is, is the same image of the clown in the background, except for with some Photoshop blood dripping out of the corner of his mouth, oh, which so he doesn't eat too. people. He's not Pennywise. There's no eating of anybody. He's just a person. He doesn't even bite anyone. No, there's no... So there should be no blood dripping from the corner of his mouth. But whatever. And then you've got your attractive cast. Yep. Front and center. And then yeah. So the you have your Sarah Lizay's, uh James Duvall, Tatiana Ali, and then... I can't remember the name of this other girl. And then, of Melissa, course... No, then that's not Melissa. Credited at the top is just Christopher Liz Palmer Bradford. and Margot Kidder. Yeah, I mean, they're <laughs> the big names. And for whatever reason now, the clown at midnight is all lowercase except for clown is in title case, which means that the C is capitalized and nothing else is. I hate that too. Doesn't make any sense. And also, I don't really know why the... I couldn't understand why the movie was called this. Nope. Did you pick up nope. on that? Nope. Yeah. There's nothing about Midnight. Midnight. I was like, oh, maybe her mom was murdered at Midnight, right. but there's no clock scene that shows that. Um, I I have no idea why it's called Yeah, that. I don't understand the title. And I looked to try and see if there were other titles, because that's what I was thinking. I'm like, Here's the only thing I can think of. The Lon Chaney reference. He had a very famous movie called London After Midnight, 
and there's like a big Lon Chaney call out in this because that's James Duvall's character. So mm-hmm. It like talks about Lon Ch- and Lon Chaney also played Phantom of the Opera, which this has close connections to. So it could have been like a a loose yeah um, reference to that because that's a very famous movie about and he like his makeup and that stuff uh, in that movie is really famous. Uh, no sequels, <laughs> shockingly. Um, and the, it, it has a score. It's actually done by a classical composer. Um, his name is Glenn Burr, and we looked him up. He's done a couple movies, but he's actually mostly well-known for actually being, like, a classically trained pianist and composer. Um, he was, like, the resident um, symphony uh, advisor in Winnipeg, like, up there at their uh, orchestra. So he's kind of a big deal. Um, definitely knows what he's doing and has been around for like 20 years in this in that field so he's which makes it makes sense for the movie too because the movie plays with a lot of operatic themes um because obviously like a big motif is the pagliacci opera um and that's you know the main character's mom was an opera singer again which i told me reminded me a little bit of stage fright yeah um and that's one of the reasons why uh, director was, I'm, uh, we're assuming because it's French Canadian that it's Jean, Jean, but it could be Jean, but it could be Jean, um, but Jean Pellerin or Pelleron. As long as I think it's Jean, because I think if it's Jean, there's an, um, accent, accent could be. Yeah. Um, listen to these movies. Uh, Laser Hawk, Hawk from yeah. 1987, um, Daybreak from 2000 and Escape Under Pressure 2000 something. Yeah. Um, I think Daybreak has one of these has Rob Lowe in it. Ooh. Um, so it's it's funny because you look it up and they all have like somebody kind of famous tied to them, like the film itself. But it looks like oh yeah, oh yeah. So uh, Laserhawk has is Mark, Mark Hamill. Hamill. Yep. Uh, oh, Escape Under Pressure has Rob Lowe, and then Daybreak has um, oh Roy Ted Sh- McGinley and Roy Schreider. Yeah, Roy Schreider from Jaws. From Jaws. Yeah. So, but it all looks like movies that they probably try and like. Very. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're like late aughts or late uh, '90s, early aughts, very low grade action movies. Um, but before that, he was a big music video director, mainly working with like Metallica, Def Leppard, Skid Row, Motley Crue. Ah, hair metal. Um, yeah. So. Makes sense. Yeah, and which is cool. I I like when I see. Uh, music video directors going into features because they usually have like a much different style um, that's usually plays into more like artistic storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, They take a little bit more risks when it comes to like... Because you only have three minutes to tell a story really. So... Uh, Kenneth J. Hall was the writer. He is his biggest thing is definitely he was credited for the story of Puppet Master. He also wrote Evil Swan in '87, and then he did special effects on Puppet Master, Jack Frost, and Ghoulies. Yeah. So man, this is just B level all yeah. the way through. Yeah, he's an industry guy for sure. Like all of his stuff is sort of this level of horror. Um, so he's definitely like really ingrained in the community um, in a variety of roles: writing, producing, special, special effects. effects. Yeah, he's. He's just Everywhere. kind of obviously just a lover of the genre. Um, our cast, like we said, Christopher Plummer. Um, he is our killer. Um, Mr. Mr. Carruthers. Carruthers. Which sounds like a Scooby-Doo villain name. Yeah, it 100%, does. 100%, yeah. I think there is a Scooby-Doo villain I, with Carruthers. There has to be, yeah. Um, 
most famous for like Sound of Music, 12 Monkeys, but literally in 10,000 things. Yeah, he's been acting since the 50s. Yeah. He's been active. So if you've he's... seen his, like you look up his picture or if you've like saw this movie, you're like, I know that guy. You do. Yeah. You, you know his voice do. too because he's been in a ton of like animated movies. He was yeah. in, uh, what was the one? An American Tale and yeah. Rock-A-Doodle and Up. Up. Like, yeah. yeah, he's all over the place. Um, of course, uh, Margot Kidder as Miss Ellen Gibby. She plays the theater teacher. Most famous for Lois Lane and Superman and then Barb and Black Christmas. Um, our final girl is um, Kate Williams, played by Sarah Lissez, who hasn't really done anything that we felt worth mentioning. Yeah, a couple um, random yeah. flicks through the 2000s. Um, James Duvall as George Reese, who's sort of our love interest slash red herring slash... Final boy, I Final guess. boy. Um Frank and Johnny Darko, um, John the Mod and SLC Punk. Um, I know him most from Mission uh, or Independence Day. Independence Day. Yeah. Um, Tatiana Ali as Monica, who's Ashley in Fresh Prince. Um, Ryan Biddle as Taylor Marshall. Melissa Galliana says Cheryl Walnut Weber. Why they gave her that nickname? It has to be like a friend thing. Like they have a friend named Walnut or something, and they're like, yeah, let's because it's so unnecessary and weird. Yeah. Or I guess nineties alt whatever. I don't fucking know. Yeah, I know. I thought that was weird. I'm Walnut when she introduces yeah. herself in the beginning. You're like, okay. I think they're just trying to play out a lot of like the ninety character story, like. There was definitely, you could see, like, minor scream influence on this, where they were trying to be, like, self. They make a lot of references about, like, oh, what do you think? We're in, like, one of those trashy movies, or you, they make a lot of comments. There's a lot of, like, almost meta, like, the whole sex scene interlacing with the sword oh, fight yes. scene and stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, meta There's stuff There's a lot of this. stuff that's easy, like, obviously, like, scream inspired to be, like, a little bit meta. And you can tell they, all of these characters are following very strict um tropes yeah yeah there's they definitely are like you have your jock Uh you have your gay character Uh you have your quote-unquote slut you have Um, your bad boy your bad boy your final girl and the best friend like it's hot like Mm -hmm. to the numbers like they're very specifically playing into the slasher trope characters um and i think and i think the whole walnut thing was supposed to make her you know the dorky alternative alternative girl yep um, J.P. Grimard as Marty Timmerman, Liz Crawford as Ashley, and on and on. There's yeah. a few other people, and none of those other people matter. Um, I think we officially have, like, theater or opera as, like, a subgenre. Yeah, between this and stage, right? Right? Yeah. And then we'll watch Aquarius at some point, which is yeah. also going to be, so... I'm okay with that. I, yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we talked about it with Stage Right. We want some more of that because well, B and I are curtains big. curtains even. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 We're big theater nerds, so yeah. it's fun. It's definitely also a whodunit. Yes. Um, there's lots of red herrings in this yeah. um, from the past to the present. So there's like a big, big thing there happening too. Um, and as we said, Christopher Plummer ends up being our killer, Mr. Crothers. So he is. He's a, he's the scorned lover. Yes, he is a scorned lover in this situation, and he is dressed as... Um, Pagliacci. Pagliacci, yeah. the clown. Yeah. Um, as are a variety of other characters. Yeah, there's is, three like, characters make, yeah. in this movie that dress as Pagliacci. Yeah, so that's what makes it confusing, but also interesting. I don't dislike that. I don't either, especially the makeup is 
really done done well. Like it's creepy. Mm-hmm. The clown is super creepy yeah. looking. The costume is really done. And Christopher Plummer, once he's in it, is he's a very theatrical actor. Very it menacing. fits. Yeah, yeah, he's super creepy. Once uh-huh. like he starts, he takes it on, and you see yeah. it like full blown, and he's yeah. not just like in the shadows. Because a lot of the movie, he's very mime like. He doesn't speak very much, but there's a lot of like scenes where he's just like standing still, and he'll smile really big. Like there's a lot of emotion given through like facial and um, body like movement, um, and Plummer does really well with it. Um, the plot is, I mean, the the motive is weird. Because um, he basically frames, you find out that Sarah is, um, what's her name? Kate, I think. Yeah, the daughter. No, Kate is the daughter. Yeah. And that is, uh, what's her name? Julia's. Um, so Julia is the actress who was murdered and Kate is her daughter. And you find out that Kate, they think the murderer was the guy who played Pagliacci, um, who you find out is Kate's dad. That's Lorenzo Orsini. Um, but you find out that's Kate's dad and they were actually lovers, that he is not the murderer and that Christopher Plummer murdered her um, at Mr. Crothers and like framed him and has been kind of playing... He like keeps him under the theater in these tunnels yeah. and he like he he kind of is like it's not blackmail he like basically is keeping there of like oh I'm protecting you because you're wanted for murder because yeah. all these people think that you killed this woman and so he's like acting like he's doing him a favor and like keeping him safe um but he wants these kids including Kate um come in like he kind of goes on this murderous rampage again um so I mean it's kind of goofy like wraparound um well the only part it's not like he's in love with kate or anything which he was in love with the mother but it's almost like he's getting revenge on her again yeah yeah and saying like he's basically using kate as a mechanism to try again like oh it didn't work with your mom and so i'm gonna make it work with you sort of that like psychotic mentality that it's like He's almost, like, imprinting that personality on her daughter. Yeah. And, and he, like, dresses her up as yeah. her. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, I couldn't have your mom, so I'm going to have you. And you're going to, and I'm, we're going to make it work this time. Yeah. Um, so that's how we start the movie is actually with the death of her mother. Um, there are two death scenes in this movie that happen because someone is listening to music and can't hear someone screaming. Uh, and this is the first one. So we see Lorraine... Um, and Lorenzo making love and then Lorenzo leaves and we know Lorenzo has played Pigliacci in the in the in the play and he leaves and she's like getting ready and she thinks he comes back and a clown pops out and and he kills her Um, and the janitor doesn't hear because he's listening to music on like a Walkman um, or something a cassette player I don't know Um, but she stabbed repeatedly in the chest and that's um, how we start our movie is her death scene and then we we kind of like that segues into we find out that kate is having weird premonitions about this like she keeps having dreams about her mother having sex first of all um but also getting murdered in her dressing room of this theater and it's definitely like the wonkiest part of this film it's the thing that works less ryan and i aren't gonna like go and say like oh my god i can't believe more people haven't heard of this movie and it needs to be seen by everybody like definitely not gonna say that but it's a serviceable slasher for oh absolutely sure. yeah um and it's not something where i like am like looking around and going like oh my god i can't believe i fucking wasted 92 minutes watching this definitely not no um there's definitely some really bad acting for sure 
But the part plot-wise that works the least is this weird idea that she needs to have premonitions. Yeah, it's very bizarre. She, like, literally waking premonitions and also nightmares that she keeps having about this same thing. But that, we could forgive it if there was no other way for the plot to develop. But they literally go to the opera house where all of these clues are, and she would have been able to find them out. In fact, other characters do find them out. She finds physical evidence pointing to the fact that Lorenzo is her father, that her mother, like that the, what's his, Carruthers was a a spurned lover, like all these things. Like literally they find, there's a point in the movie where her father shows up and tells a character the entire, like, I mean, you don't see it, it takes place off screen, but James Duvall um, playing George, like, reveals, like, oh, like, yeah, your dad told me everything that yeah. happened. And it's like, we did not need these. It's like a weirdly supernatural thing to introduce in a film that is otherwise completely grounded in, like, the reality, reality of, of a teen slasher movie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we fast forward to, um, you know, quite a bit. I think it's, like, 10 years about. Uh, and, uh, so we have to have our flash forward because it's a slasher. Yeah, and Miss Ellen Gibby has been donated to the theater by Mr. Crothers. And, you know, we find out that Kate is following in her mother's footsteps of wanting to be an actress. So they before they can do anything in the theater, they have to, um, like, clean it and basically refurbish it because it hasn't been used since the murder. So it's pretty dilapidated. Um, so we spent a long time kind of doing, like, our introduction of the characters yeah. that's when we meet all of our stereotypes there's like definitely a montage scene that is super goofy of them cleaning the theater up to like really goofy 90s music um and the, the whole time too like kate keeps having these visions of the clown that's happening um and um our first kill post flashback is of course they kill the biggest name character margo kidder shows up before all the kids do to help clean um and she's killed with an axe uh the clown is in there she thinks it's i think she thinks it's george yeah um because george is the makeup effects artist he wants to be in film but he's like been relegated to do stage work which he's not happy about um and he kills her with an axe which is almost the most graphic scene in the movie they kind of cut to black right when the axe hits but you can see it a little bit and like his facial expression during this kill is hella creepy yeah no he's like the the clown is super creepy in this movie and not just like and i don't really have a particular aversion to clowns i mean they're creepy yeah they're weird but like i'm not afraid yeah but they're fine like i can see a clown in like a non-horror getup and not be like creeped out by it yeah when they're just supposed to be like a jester or whatever but seriously, if you, like, he's just standing behind and then he turns around and gets, like, a big smile on his face and just right axe right to the middle of the head. It's yeah. a creepy kill. He, he's very menacing, like yeah. this clown is. Plumber does a good job with that. So the kids all show up to the theater to clean and Miss Gibby is missing. So they're like, oh, okay, I, like, I guess she, like, went out to do something. So they start to clean anyways. And that's, like I said, we get our montage and we kind of, like know who all the characters are and like they're very shallow descriptors pretty much um and slowly they come to realize that like they're locked in the theater um and we do get our first like kid kill it's ashley is strangled with a necklace after having the worst on-screen sex scene i've ever seen in my entire life in a horror movie so bad oh my god it's so funny so i was watching this while i was eating dinner or something and i was in the kitchen like watching on my ipad and I just think any horror fan who has a significant other that doesn't watch horror 
has a talent for walking in on the worst moments. And that I I feel like that's not just me. It has to, it's everybody. That's all horror fans. And right? that's that's 100%. Sure enough, my husband walks by during this very weird sex scene and he's like um is the whole movie been like this or and i'm like no it's, it's literally the just the only one this scene. yeah it's it's the it's just this the and token sex scene. yeah yeah and he's like uh-huh i'm like no i swear um it's so bad though like she gets top it looks like she just sat down and they're like wriggle your hips and i was like what the fuck is happening here and then they also like no but then they stand up yeah then they stand up but she has like uh, i'm not gonna talk about her body whatever um anyway so they are also a blow job. They make a lot of position changes for a high school kid. He really lasts a long time. Yes, that's it's true. Impressive. There's a whole thing where Tatiana Ali's character is like fencing with the, what's his name? Mark, Marty, Marty, um, who is like the stereotypical gay kid, like the yeah, the flamboyant gay theater kid. Yeah, um, and they're ha- they're fencing and like he keeps going like thrust. I thrust, kind of love parry. it. No, it works. I, it does. Yeah, yeah, I love like so you see the sex scene, but you're getting the audio from like their sword fight, and they're being like super playful in their sword fight. So yeah, they're saying things like thrust, thrust. I would honestly cut to the sex scene. Yeah, the sex scene is better than the fencing because the sword fighting is even worse well, yeah, it's very poorly choreographed it's, horrible. it's like yeah you could tell they were afraid of like hurting yes each other. definitely and then like even i just for some reason it stands out when they're done sword fighting and they're all sitting in the chairs laughing i was like oh this is so bad because <laughs> it's like they flop onto the chairs well, and they're like, it's, ah! it's meant to I'm be like, like oh. yeah we just fucked yeah you yeah, know exactly and but, so yeah it's so ashley is our first of the kids who's killed um and this is after um what's his name taylor has left already because he's mad because he's like basically you treat me like a piece of meat you act like i'm hella dumb and she's like well you are and this is the second scene where we get someone killed she's strangled while um tatiana lee her her character what is her character's name um does she not die in this Oh, she, uh, Monica. Um, when Monica is, like, she's in charge of, like, wardrobe, so she's cleaning out the, like, wardrobe room, and she's listening to something on a boombox and can't hear her being strangled. Yeah. Um, well, and also, yeah, I think part of it is, like, for whatever reason, it seems to come up in horror films where people will confuse sex with, the kill like oh they're just they think it's sex noises when yeah. it's really like a character getting killed mm-hmm. which we've seen in a few things like urban legend and stuff like that um which i mean i don't know maybe depending on certain people's sex life yeah it sounds like you're getting murdered but i hope not yeah that's <laughs> terrifying um so this is where the movie kind of kicks into high gear and like yeah. the actual like game of cat and mouse kind of starts beginning like the kids are all kind of thrust in different directions they're all like kind of exploring the theater they're trying to find a way out they're also trying to find miss gibby because she's been missing for too long they're also trying to find ashley because now they can't find her um and like at this point too george has already been seen in the pagliacci outfit um like he uh, monica sees him and he chases after her just to like be like hey it's me but they yeah. all assume it's like the killer um and he's tackled by taylor the football guy and like everyone's mad at him because they know that kate has this whole thing with him yeah um but we get a pretty solid death scene with monica like i like it a lot she's exploring like this creepy basement where there's like all these mannequins and like uh props um and she sees the clown and he's hiding behind like this big um like cloth basically like just a a backdrop and she starts stabbing through it with a spear and he makes a noise like he was stabbed 
and she's like sitting there relieved but then the like another spear comes through the backside of her it's It's right through the stomach yeah it's also probably the most graphic um kill in the in the movie uh because a lot of the other ones are either cut they either cut away or they're pretty like the electrocution one's pretty goofy well yeah but what about the decapitation one oh yeah Yeah, that that one's pretty good good. yeah it is pretty good um yeah so at this point the kids are like full-blown in panic mode they try to call the phones go dead the cell phone doesn't work they realize that they're locked into the theater so their plan is two of them are going to go up to the roof oh hold on let's talk about some outdated technology for a second oh their giant ass cell phone so ashley's the only one who has a cell phone because she's rich because she's rich yeah i love too that marty goes thank god for technology yeah and then he pulls out a phone the size of a brick but the best part, too, which maybe that was a thing, but I really don't think so. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, if you're old enough to have had a cell phone in 1998 when this was filmed, or 99. But he's like, oh, low signal. She never remembers to charge it. Yep. Keep this thing charged. Yeah. So I'm like, since when does like the battery life affect the signal that you can get? I was like, I don't think that's how it works. Well, and then but he's like maybe. pacing and he's like, oh, I got it. No, yeah. it's gone. Oh. I got I'm like stay in one place yeah. maybe when you get it stay in that place instead of like get higher everywhere. ground go on stage and then as soon as I'm like oh they're telling him to go on stage well shit's gonna go down on stage yeah because they're like get up on the stage which is you know three feet higher or whatever yeah. um and they're up there and that's when they so then Marty falls through a trap door and this is separates our characters more Taylor and Walnut decide they're going to go to the roof to try to get service so they can call for help while George and um Kate uh, decide they're going to go find Marty and help him because he's stuck underneath the stage. And at this point, they're... Oh, yeah, and Ashley fell... Um, Ashley came swinging out, hung, hang, like, hanging from a noose on the stage. Mm-hmm. So at this point, they're well aware that someone is out to kill yes. them. The um, panic is real. Yes. Um, so we get this whole scene where Marty is electrocuted. This is probably to me the cheesiest scene in the movie because mm-hmm. the clown the, they're like in this props room where there's a real electric chair apparently and or he made it electric and it's automatic like it automatically locks him into it and then the clown starts stabbing at him and he just like basically stabs into the metal and it electrocutes him to death um it's not great but the best part is the clown in all these scenes is like constantly seen in the background before he kind of makes his move and he's very creepy like like i said he's very mime like he's like super menacing and creepy um so marty is killed and then we also now find out that taylor has made it up to the roof um and the clown grabs him when he's up there walnut runs away and um taylor's thrown off the roof and that scene was pretty goofy too because he's thrown off the roof and he's hanging there and then he's like yelling at the clown he's like come on man help me i don't want to die and the clown reaches his hand out to help him and it's a fake hand so he grabs the hand and it falls off with him um and then he falls to the ground to his death uh walnut's next to go that's the decapitation scene. So she's actually decapitated with an axe. So he does use an axe pretty frequently in this movie, actually. It's probably the weapon he uses the most. His iconic weapon, which he, is kind of weird for the theater. Like, you'd think you could find a item that would be, like, more commonly found. Yeah, it's kind of weird, like, all of the mean, things that are is, real in here, too. Yeah. Like, all, like. We, I mean, B and I grew up in theater, so like, there's a lot. There are definitely a lot of prop items. Uh-huh. Definitely was never around real swords, spears, axes, or electric chairs in a theater. So, 
I mean, I guess the, you can always justify an axe because there's going to be an axe in most places for emergency services that will be locked up. That's true. Um, but his is like almost but a his hatchet. Is, almost. Yeah, it's yeah. not really an axe you would find, um, you know, in a glass case. But, I mean, it makes for good kills. And this decapitation scene, I think, is really successful. The issues that we have with ones in, like, Terror Train, where it's just you get so distracted by the head itself Mm, and how goofy it looks because it's a really hard thing to get right, especially in this day, in that day and age before CGI existed. Um, What I really like about this is, like, as the head's rolling, it's so dim that you can't see any details. Yep, they were smart with the lighting. It really saves the kill because it's super, the swing and the head coming off, that's all great. And then you get the nice rolling of the head without having to go like, oh my god, look at how corny that looks. Like, mm. it's done really well. Yeah. And they matched her hair up pretty well. Like, the wig yeah. and everything looks good, too. Um, this is kind of leads into the climax of the movie, where George is taken off by this clown. And so um, Kate is kind of forced back up to the stage. And she's on the catwalk. And there's two clowns suddenly. Um, and one of the clowns is pushed off of the catwalk. And we find out that was her dad. Um, who had been living yeah, in the tunnels underneath the theater. And Mr. Carruthers is the other clown who has now murdered her father. And he, she wakes up after being knocked out, and she is dressed in her mother's clothing with a wig on to look like her. And Mr. Carruthers is going to basically carry out the finale of Pagliacci, um, which is he's going to murder her. Um, George shows up dressed as a clown and tries to save the day and fails horribly. He gets knocked out pretty quick by Mr. Carruthers, but it does give Kate enough time to like let um, let herself loose of the rope binding. Um, and she stabs him in the eye with a screwdriver, which was a pretty solid scene too. Um, yeah, so- she stabs him in the eye with a screwdriver and then she runs and opens. This is the only part that I didn't get. Maybe I just missed that. Is that she then opens the, the trap door? The trap door, and there's a bunch of like spears down there. Yeah, but um, there's two trap doors on the stage, so I don't know if it's a different trap door than the one that Marty fell through earlier, because um, they do make sure that the bird's eye view shows us two different trap doors. Or I don't know right. if it's just supposed to be implied like that got moved there. I don't know. Yeah, so maybe that was he was setting up a kill for the trap door or something. That's the only thing that seems a little weird is like here's this trap door, obviously. Our cat. We never see our cast members going like, "Yeah, let's set up this trap for the killer." So you get a little bit curious when he falls through the trap door, like why there's a bunch of spears that then kill him down there. Yeah, it's cool looking though. It looks awesome. Yeah, I just they, they did a really just... good job. And she, you know, delivers the classic one liner. She goes, "Break a leg," which yeah. if you're not theater initiated, that's what you're supposed to say instead of good luck, because saying good luck is bad luck. Yeah. So you say break a leg instead. But yeah, that scene's cool. Like he's dying on all these like spears and like yeah. I just like how the color mixes with all of it too, like the Pagliacci costume. Um, and George comes out and kind of explains like that was your dad who pulled me earlier and like who he murdered, and they leave the theater. Yeah. Um, and with like a really cheesy like freeze frame oh yeah that's freeze really frame bad. when they open the door yeah. and the daylight comes through and that like they freeze halfway yeah. through the door i'm like oh that's really terrible but the like the whole movie's pretty cheesy but it's it's standard like 90 slasher fair yeah. and it's fun and the i even text b when i was watching it like for me the climax works really well um because james duvall does reveal. yeah james duvall does really well in his brief appearance as the clown too like he does a really good job of being like creepy and menacing but like christopher Plummer just like you know choose scenery like in a good way in a required way and like really makes the impact of the climax like a lot more powerful um and you know our final girl's girl's fine she is yeah she's definitely 
She's not like somewhere we've gotten where we're just like, oh my God, like so boring. There's nothing to her. It's like actually kind of obnoxious. Like, you know, she has, she has a personality. She's a good friend. She's, you know, dealing with these like waking and sleeping nightmares, which have sort of like super troubled her, but she's still trying to like, you know, be strong and, you know, get through them and sort of connect to her mom who she just found out she had because she was actually adopted because obviously her mother and father were MIA. Um, she's trying to figure out, she's like asking Monica if she should even trust George and like she has this connection with them. So we actually get a decent amount of like character development from her that mm-hmm. makes her, you know, I mean, for this type of movie yes. more than I would expect. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. Like, and she does have a small, like, character arc of, like, mm-hmm. coming to terms with, like, this person she thought was the killer the whole time was actually yeah. her father. And um, so I think she's not, she's no, you know, Sid or Nancy, but right. she's definitely, like, not some of the more cardboard ones we've got that they're only a Exer- final girl. Because in, they survived. Because they survived. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She's definitely a final girl because her path led her to be here. And then, and that's because the story, you know, determines that right um so i think i think for the most part this film actually has like a really solid um story and script behind it it just lacks in dialogue credibility yeah honestly yeah and like i think well that's what i'm saying like i think if the actors had I mean, I don't know, maybe better direction and better lines to say. I mean, this movie is basically stage fright, which we loved, minus the musical stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a bad... I definitely, like B said, I didn't sit there and afterwards go like, oh, what a waste of 90 minutes. (sighs) It was a fucking blood night. Yeah, it wasn't blood night. Um, Like, I enjoyed it. I definitely was like, oh, like, this is, you know, one of those ones that... I would suggest to someone who like loves slashers, yeah. like loves teen slashers, yeah. and it's like, oh, here's one you've probably never heard of that will service you. Like right. it, 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 it gets the job done. You know, um, what's your favorite kill? Um, I think my favorite kill is. Hmm. So I do like what you're saying. Is that every build up to the kill we have there's always a shot of the clown the clown yeah before so you know it's sort of like the precursor like oh, okay he's here like this this is their time it's gonna happen yeah and you get not long but like a good like five to ten seconds of like anticipation for how he's gonna do it mm-hmm. um I, although I think some of the kills, like what we actually see might be a little bit better, I really like the menacing, like, way that um, Margot Kidder's character is killed. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just, I think it's one of the creepier interactions because you don't see his face and she actually stumbles upon him. Yeah, it's pretty creepy because he's kind of, like, pacing or shuffling around in the corner of the theater. So you can't, you don't even see him at all. He's just like over there like you can see it's this fucking creepy clown it's not like some shadowed figure right but you don't see him well and i think part of what oh excuse me um part of what makes the kill so effective is that she walks up to him in a way because she's not there's no fear yet yeah yeah because she thinks it's her yeah, yeah no other characters have been killed so she just thinks it's george in costume and she's just going up to him and so that's, I mean, that's always pretty terrifying to think you're safe. And right. then 
somebody to literally in an instant turn around, smile really fucking creepy at you, and then put a goddamn axe through your head. Yeah. Like, that's pretty great. Yeah. So. That's a good one. Um, I think mine is Tatiana Lee's character in yeah, Monica. Yeah, that was like, really good. The framing of him, like, in the, it's like a picture frame yeah. almost. So, like, he looks like he could be a painting. Um, and then he gives, like, the creepy oh. smile. And then I like the fake out of, like, he's yeah. smart enough to fake her out and be like, okay, I'm going to make her think I he, she got me and then kill her from behind. Um, I thought it, and, like, I think it's one of the more graphic kills, which I'm always a fan oh, of. Oh, and we forgot to mention it during the finale, which I really like. It's done in a lot of slashers. And so I think, you know, it's just following that trope. But the killer brings out all of his victims at the end. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And he has, like, a great, really beyond theatrical and like killer line about how it's the perfect audience i've got a captive audience i've got the Mm -hmm. leading lady and i've got no critics yeah and then you pan out and it's like happy birthday to me where the killers like set up all of the victims and they're just sitting out there i love that i love a finale that has like a maniac fucking killer like Mm -hmm. urban legend bring out all your kills bring them to one room and say look what i fucking did and it's usually because of the final girl which makes it even better i love that trope yeah and Plummer just again just he man it could have fallen so flat and been so cheesy but his acting really elevates this movie a lot Mm -hmm. um and him like doing all this like very grandiose theatrical acting at the end is is super like on par with what they were trying to achieve here um yeah unknown pretty much like we said we we would have never even known if not for this book and like we've spent a long time looking for 90s horror movies slasher movies in particular and so um basically i know it's crazy to think that it was just sitting on prime the whole time um, well and that's the thing that it's doing a a discredit to this film in general is that it's not going to be watched by the people who will actually enjoy it based mm-hmm. on the cover being used on amazon prime um i mean i am a designer but we nobody is going to tell me that they're not going to judge um a movie by its cover not so much in saying like i'm gonna like this or i'm not gonna like this but we look at covers and can usually tell certain things about it. And one of those things will be like, oh, is this a slasher? Is this a B movie? Is this an A movie? Like, you know, whatever. You're going to pick up little cues based on the poster design. And there's no cues on this poster that will tell you, like, if you guys go on Amazon Prime and look at it, you're going to be like, oh, that did does not look like the movie I just watched. And um, even the name doesn't match. The Clown at Midnight, It yeah. sounds like a supernatural horror movie to yeah. me. Like, especially with that cover. Like, yeah. the weird all-white eyes in different yeah. directions and stuff. And, like, the CG makeup or blood dripping down his mouth. Like, it seems like he's a monster or something. Um, yeah, so very unknown. This is our 35th movie, so at the end of every episode, you guys know we go, um, if you go to keepscreaming.com slash the dash list, you can find our rankings of all of the movies that we reviewed, um, that we have viewed so far, um, and this will be our 35th one. Number one is still my buddy Valentine, um, reigning champ for over a year now, uh, from 1981, and then in last place, we still have April Fool's Day, Girls Night Out, and Cry Wolf rounding out the bottom three. Um, but there is a reason April Fool's Day and Cry Wolf are as low as they are. So go back and listen to those episodes when you can. And Girls Night Out is that low because it's just a really bad movie. Yeah, that that one is genuinely just that low. Um, uh, I'm looking right around 25. Like, I, I mean, 
so if you guys haven't listened yet we try to rank it not on like how much we like the movie or anything like that we try we kind of have a system in place of like how well it works as a slasher um and it definitely works but mm-hmm. like i mean it's very paint by numbers but not in like a blueprinty way like my bloody valentine is it's like cardboard cutout because it's very stereotyped and troped um it's, I think, in a very similar vein as my Super Psycho Sweet 16, where it's following the blueprint. Yeah, but not as teeth. good. Um, but my Super Psycho Sweet 16, which, fuck, I hate saying that name every time. Uh, what that one does is it follows, it doesn't do anything new. It follows it paint by numbers in a straight to basically the MTV version of straight to video, which is very similar to this. But we get a themed killer that then uses the theme. It takes it a step farther. Where this Mm -hmm. one, we do have a themed killer. And I think maybe the reveal and, like, the twists are a little bit more successful than any of the ones done in My Super Psycho Suit 16. Because that one's just pretty much plays it straight. Right. Never really questioning too much um, what's happening. Um, So I think that one gets it, like, a little a little bit more right for being but like when thinking in comparison i think that's probably the closest one and a newer movie that takes the 80s formula and really just follows it which is not a bad thing i mean that's what makes it a slasher and that's what makes it work as a slasher um so i'm actually looking and as a slasher i Maybe even higher. Maybe yeah, like I think 22? it needs to be a little higher for sure. Like, because I, um, I have to look at it and like, I think Hellbent's better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking and like, but New Year's Evil, I think not right nec- around here. Yeah, not necessarily a better. I mean, what do we have? Four kills in New Year's Evil? Yeah, and like, it doesn't, ne- like, I think it. this follows, like you said, you know, it. it, it does have like, it's very paint by the numbers but that's not always a bad thing like the blueprint exists for a reason and the reveal is solid christopher Plummer's acting elevates the entire movie mm-hmm. it does have a good score like the mm-hmm. score is super good and appropriate to the film and like realistically the only thing that like super hurts this movie is bad acting, bad acting. and a poor decision to rope in a, a supernatural element that really doesn't serve any purpose yeah so i i would be comfortable putting this as their new 22 after yeah. hellbent I think yeah. after Hellbent, before New Year's Evil is a yeah. good spot for this. Cool. So this is our new number 22. The Clown at Midnight will be number 22 on our list. That's pretty solid. Because um, like we said, you know, like it might. And you know what's weird, though, is it should have the budget to be a little better because it was $12 million in 1999. Like yeah. you'd think the kills would be a little more graphic or like the acting would be a little better. But again, I don't know what Christopher Plummer cost in 99 or Margot Kidder or that score. I know classically composed music is not cheap. I mean, this guy is literally running an orchestra. Um, so yeah, all of those and, things. I mean, you have to, I mean, you have to look at the director in those instances too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that's what we did with Most Likely to Die where we're like, you know, we do think that, you know, there's some flaws in the acting and we have to look at that in twofold. It's like how much of that was the talent you were given and right. how much was that them not understanding or and not just directors, too. So let me not like put all the blame on them, but also the producing mm-hmm. being like, no, we want this tone or we want this or that. Yeah. Um, and then that especially because some producers will have like individual relationships with actors 
um, and be working with them specifically on what they want that what they want that role to look like. Um, and so, poor acting because you know a lot of these people like Tatiana Ali we know is a fine actor. I yeah. mean, we saw her in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air mm-hmm. for how many fucking years? Yeah, exactly. You know? mm-hmm. um, and obviously had a ton of experience to back her up. Um, and she is one of the better actresses. For sure. Movie. And yeah. then also it could just be that those kids just really weren't good actors and just didn't have enough experience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, and we saw like a lot of the ones that were not the best actors to not go on to have yeah. very fruit, like fruitful careers. Yeah. So, um, cool. So this is our new number 22. Um yeah so said, yeah i watched this on amazon prime it is streaming for free if you would like to purchase it it's available only as a dvd double pack with phantom racer fast furious and fatal it's whatever a terror two pack I'm, it's a play on fast and furious obviously avi well, um so we are trying to just figure out what our next movie is going to be um i think by the time you hear this we'll have it picked out for sure so you guys will know on the socials but um if you don't see it there, we're trying to find a foreign one that's not Italian. So that's our goal. Um, we're looking at either Mexican or possibly Japanese or one of the like Asian uh, countries over there. But there's not a lot of slashers from those areas. Because the slasher... Yeah, it's funny because you don't really think about it, um, or at least I've never really thought about it, that you know horror is the genre and every country does horror. Mm-hmm. But slasher is an american subgenre it's an american movie and the closest thing to slashers are giallos which is italian which is italian and slashers are in part inspired by giallos um and so when you have something that's so part of american culture and literally exists in this country the only way we're gonna find slashers in other countries are if they're just a fan of the subgenre because it is not everything that all the tropes everything that makes a slasher a slasher exists because they're all very intrinsic american things so to find that done in asia or even fucking australia or africa or mexico or wherever it's gonna be hard yep but we're gonna try yep and in case you guys didn't know like that's actually if you ever have an afternoon and you just want to like have some fun. Look up like the biggest horror subculture or subgenres in cultures. It's yeah. really interesting. Um, Mexico does a lot of possessed mm-hmm. because it's a very Catholic country. Mm-hmm. So that's a scary thing there is like demons and possession. Mm-hmm. And Japan and a lot of the Asian cultures do a lot to do with spirits because they're super spiritual, like in touch with spirituality and like the idea of like ancestry and, and ghosts in a different way um Mm -hmm. than like mexico is like it's a lot of like haunted stuff spirits passing on yeah so it's but that's a very fun exercise to do too is is figure out like what countries um what they look at as far as like genres well yeah i know like what is it like germany like a lot of their horror movies are like um like nature based Mm -hmm. and like lore based Mm -hmm. a lot of eastern europe actually um and i know germany actually has a large like culture cultural thing with like like torture porn ish movies, is I guess. Is it Krampus from Krampus is I, Swedish? I think so. Scandinavian, something. something like that. It's it's really cool to like read up on it and like see how they're impacted and like a lot of. I, and here we are, famous for. You know why though? Because America didn't have a lot of folklore. We didn't. We're like, too new. We're too, exactly so. Like we're I mean, the close, the, the closest thing to folklore, the like as far as like mythology and folklore, like we have 
what, Paul Bunyan and Johnny Appleseed and Pecos Bill? Like, that's not a horror movie. You watched yeah. that Paul Bunyan horror movie. It was a porno. So, like, the, eh, so we kind of had Jersey to... Jersey Devil. Like, like yeah, the yeah. Jersey Devil, but, like, I think... Bigfoot. Sometimes when I think about it, like, to me, like... Freddy Krueger is our folklore. Like, yeah. those are the our folklore. Yeah, the boogeyman. Yeah. Like, those I are our folklores. Yeah. So, um, I, I love that. Um, but yeah, we'll be back in two weeks with hopefully something um, foreign, if we can find it. If not, uh, you'll also know. Um, but until then, keep screaming.